0: The title of my sermon is Paul's Prayer Request. In our last visit to the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, we saw that he told them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I love those words. I've been saying them to myself pretty much all through (coughs) last week. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You want to be strong, don't you? I want to be strong. I trust you want to be strong. But it's strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Nothing wrong with wanting to be strong. We don't want to be weak. But it's in the strength of the Lord. And we are to put on the whole armour of God. This is something else we saw. As we wrestle against principalities and powers. In other words, put it simply, as we wrestle against demonic forces. Paul also urged the Ephesians, and us to pray always. It was stressed that what applied back then applies just as much now to all who were followers of God as his dear dear children through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as you abide in this Christ-hating world that has the devil as its prince, you are to put on the whole armour of God in order to resist the evil one, in the strength of the Lord and in the power of his might, as you continually communicate with your Heavenly Father in prayer and as you present your petitions to him. Again, I want to emphasise the reality of, and the extent rather, the extent of the satanic activity in this world. I've already mentioned in recent weeks that at the opening ceremony of the Gotthard Tunnel in Switzerland in 2016 there was a very dramatic and elaborate show that amongst other things depicted the devil weaving in and out of demons. That performance received a standing ovation from various world leaders and dignitaries including the German Chancellor. Much more recently, in fact only a few days ago, a meeting of the Alaska state government in the United States of America opened with prayer from a woman who attends a satanic temple. Her prayer, in which she said, Hail Satan, was clearly an invocation of the devil. Whilst on the subject of opening prayers at parliamentary and government meetings, There is now talk of removing Christian prayers from the start of sittings of the House of Keys on our island. It's anybody's guess where such a measure might lead to. Watch this space. We'd be very, very naive if we didn't think it might just lead to something very, very sinister in time to come. Anyway, before I digress further, we'll look at today's passage which consists of the last six verses of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. So, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 19. We'll take it up from verse 18, really, because I'm jumping in mid-sentence here. Verse 18. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the Gospel." for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Uh, Tukicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ, in sincerity. Amen. Having just encouraged the Ephesians to pray for all the saints, Paul then requested prayer, not so much for himself, but for his ministry. Note that he did not ask them to pray for temporal blessings for him. Although God could have very easily brought about Paul's release from chains, uh, from bonds in in Rome, as was clearly demonstrated in Acts chapter 16 with the Lord's miraculous intervention, when Paul and his travelling companion Silas were in the stops in a Philippian jail and... They were released from that situation by divine intervention. Paul wasn't asking for that though, was he, uh, in our passage tonight. He could have made a convincing case for asking the saints to pray for his release so that he would then be able to proclaim the gospel to a much wider audience that he could carry on on and, and yet another missionary journey proclaiming the gospel of Christ. But he didn't ask for that. Paul was asking the Ephesians to pray to God that an opportunity would be given to him to proclaim the mystery of the gospel and to do so with a holy boldness when finally he would have to give an account to the Roman emperor or his representative of the doctrine that he had been proclaiming far and wide a doctrine that had angered the Jews so much so that they seemed determined to kill him. All he wanted there was an opportunity. Look at verse 19. An opportunity to preach the mystery of the gospel. In verse 19, And for me, the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. In the situation where he was there's no there's nothing there to indicate that he was asking to be released from bonds so that he could go around preaching the gospel he was making the most or wanted to make the most that was his desire his heart's desire to make the most of the situation where he was that he was in the mystery of the gospel that Paul was keen to proclaim in his bonds, or in his chains, was seen in chapter 3 and verse 6 to be that the Gentiles, which of course includes the Romans, should be fellow heirs, fellow heirs with the Jews, and of the same body, and partakers of God's promise in Christ by the gospel. I must admit, it's only when I was preparing this final sermon that I realised just how significant the mystery of the gospel is uh, and this theme, this recurring theme in Ephesians of the mystery of the gospel. It comes up time and time again. It figures prominently, for example, going back to chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Let's have a look at that. Back to the first chapter, verses 9 and 10. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. This is the mystery that's revealed now. Gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He was talking about Jews and Gentiles, and not just Jews being redeemed and reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his shed blood. Then there's chapter 3 and verse (coughs) 3, where Paul tells us that the mystery of the gospel was revealed by direct revelation. Let's have a look at that, chapter 3, verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when we read, we may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Can you see how big it is this is this is really uh, one of the, one of the main things that Paul is bringing to us in this epistle that the the, the Jews and the Gentiles would be brought together and reconciled to God to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ until the mystery of the gospel was revealed, salvation from sin and having a right standing before a holy God was thought to be the preserve of the Jews alone. However, even though the gospel had been largely hidden from all but the Jews, it was always God's plan for his salvation grace to reach every tongue, every tribe, every nation. It's not something that just evolved in time. It always was God's plan. The scope of the gospel of Christ And the righteousness of God that it reveals, a righteousness that covers not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, so that they are holy and without blame before God in an everlasting love, is such good news that Paul didn't just speak about it in this epistle to the Ephesians. For example, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through to 29, he said, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This was this first century church. Paul was really having to labour that point that the Lord Jesus Christ has reconciled both Jews and Gentiles to God through faith in his finished work at the cross. As for the promise to Abraham that we see in Galatians chapter 3 there, I said, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, that promise of worldwide blessings was given by God to Abraham some 500 years before God even entered into a covenant with Israel. 500 years before, blessings were promised to Abraham and his seed. Clearly, that did not just... Uh, those blessings were not just for Jews, it was for all who come to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've seen in Ephesians chapter 2, the time finally came that the incarnate Son of God broke down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles and he reconciled the two to God in one body by his death on the cross for all who trust in him as repentant sinners. This is the mystery that is being revealed. Looking now at chapter 6, verse 20, Paul called himself an ambassador, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak, speaking about the mystery of God. I wonder, can you see why it is that certain Jews were so intent on killing him? All this talk about reconciling Jews, uh, sorry, Gentiles as well as Jews to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was not music to their ears. It should be. It should be music to everyone's ears. But they did not like what they were hearing. And Paul called himself an ambassador. Ambassadors, they normally enjoy Tremendous privileges, including immunity from the law in the countries where they are sent to represent their own country's king or president. They have diplomatic privilege, exemption from prosecution, and so on. However, that was hardly the case with Paul, who was in chains. Nevertheless, he was quite literally an ambassador, and not just any old ambassador – He was an ambassador for none other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, an ambassador of Christ in chains in Rome. Before we move on, note that the great Apostle Paul was not shy about asking for prayer and neither should we be. I for one value your prayers concerning my pastoral ministry. Also, what Paul was praying for was in line with assurances that he'd been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's just wind back here. Look at verse 19 again. And for me, this is what he's praying. He's asking prayer request for. That utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, this, apart from anything else, as I've already said, it would seem that uh, the commentators seem to think that this is when finally he appears before the emperor or before the emperor's representative and he's given that opportunity to speak at last. And Paul, more than anything else, he wanted an opportunity to speak boldly about the gospel of Christ. And as such... Paul's prayer request was in line with scripture. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 to 20, Jesus said to his disciples, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Paul's request thoroughly biblical in that he was in effect praying for a fulfillment of those words when the time came for him to stand before Caesar. In order for us to pray biblically, we need to be people who study the word of God in order to discern God's will. I think I said that this morning, didn't I? Let's read verse 21-22. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tuquicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. In these verses we're introduced to Tuquicos, whom Paul described as a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. As such, Tychicus was a dear friend of Paul and a servant or deacon, someone who may well have attended to Paul as well as running errands for him. It's only when you look at Colossians, chapter 4 and verse 7, that you see that Tychicus was a fellow, emphasis on the fellow here, a fellow servant in the Lord. In in. Ephesians here, we've got a faithful minister in the Lord. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, a fellow servant in the Lord. In other words, even though he clearly did run errands for Paul, such as delivering Paul's epistles to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, he was, it would seem, also a fellow labourer in the ministry of the gospel of Christ that Tychicus was also a minister of the gospel is reinforced by the fact that not only was he sent by Paul to the Ephesians to relieve their anxieties concerning Paul, Paul had founded the church in Ephesus, they were obviously keen to know anything that was going on concerning Paul. And so Tychicus was sent to to give them an update, give them some news on Paul, how he was getting on, how he was faring, but also, we see there in verse 22, he was sent that he might comfort their hearts. How would Tukikos comfort their hearts? Would it be by giving news concerning Paul? Well, possibly to a degree, but I would say there's a lot more to it than that. The only sure way of comforting a Christian's heart is by speaking to him or her about the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. That is how the Christian's heart is comforted. Think about it, when someone comes to this church and and delivers a report of some sort, there's a reasonable expectation that he will also minister to the hearts, to hearts by proclaiming the riches of God's grace in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're really hanging on for, isn't it? To hear about Jesus. We finally come to Paul's benediction or blessing as he signs off. In verses 23, 24. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Look at those four words, four words there that I've read to you that stand out, key words there. Peace, that's one of them, one of the four. Love, faith. We've got all of those in verse 23. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith. And then, in verse 24, grace. So you've got peace, love, faith, and grace. Think about that order there. If you think of those four words without looking at the context here, and never mind anything else just for a moment, just the peace, the love, the faith, the grace. What order would you normally put them in? I would put them in the reverse order. I'd start with grace. Then I'd have faith. And then equally, I'd have the, the 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 love and the peace. Maybe you wouldn't, but certainly I'd put grace first. We're saved by the grace of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love and the peace that follow are the fruit of faith. There can be no peace in the church without a faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. It is through faith in Jesus that we have peace with God and peace with one another. In verse 23, the emphasis is on a love for the brethren. And then finally, in verse 24, the emphasis is on a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. God is love, he sheds abroad or he pours out his love in the hearts of his children. People who by the grace of God have a genuine saving faith in his dear son. The love that all who are trusting in Jesus have is a love for him and that love is seen in a love for one another. That kind of love is in sincerity according to verse 24. In other words, it's a love that is incorruptible, and once present, it can never perish. It is a love that was manifested at the cross, where Jesus died as the substitute for all of you who have faith in him. Your sins were laid upon him, and with his stripes you are healed. With that, we come to the end of this amazing epistle, which I encourage you to read and study time and time again for yourselves. And uh, you you can be sure you will benefit from this just as I have, just reading it and finding something new. Even when I prepared this very last installment. Um, But that's it now, but if any of you here are still not applying this to yourselves, that if you know nothing about the peace and the love that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ then this is, it's surely it must be time for you to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who <coughs> has brought peace to Jews, Gentiles, people like us through the blood of his cross, making us one in him. One body, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father. Amen.